This is the word of God. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm the lead minister, Brett. And... uh You came at an interesting time because I get to talk about women's issues and gender roles. Yeah, we're going to go there. So pray for me. Pray for me today more than ever. And look, if if I say something that offends you, please email at markessick at (laughs) southpointccc.com. Look, I want to welcome you. If you're new, if you're a guest with us, if you're watching online, I want to say hello to you. And we realize that a lot of folks are going to watch online before they ever show up in person, so we're looking forward to seeing you soon. But we are now in the last talk from this series called Yield in a portion of the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a very jacked-up church that he helped start some years ago in the major Greek city of Corinth. And while he's away in another city, news of their dysfunction gets back to him, so he writes them this letter to set them straight on a whole bunch of issues. And uh, the focus here on these, these chapters 8 through 11 that we've been in is about yielding yourself, yielding your rights your Christian freedom for the good of others and the glory of God. It's not about misusing your freedom to do whatever you want to do because it's not all about you. Uh, That's not the Christian way of love. And look, if you're not a Christ follower yet, then I understand you may not appreciate everything that's going to be said today, and that's okay. That's why sometimes we like to say, you get a pass, okay? Because this is really directed toward the church and the issues that we're dealing with. And as you understand, the church does not operate by the same standards as the current culture. But even if you are a Christ follower, you still may not appreciate everything that's going to be said today. But I encourage you to give it a fair hearing and give it time to simmer in your your mind and in your spirit. Because all these gender issues that we're dealing with today are really nothing new. 
They were dealing with it back then too. And you'll understand because there are so many gender issues involved, uh, I'm not going to be able to delve into all of them. And you'll understand, forgive me, that I don't touch on, on every single issue involving gender. But look, there is so much confusion and controversy today that we really, this is important, we really need to hear from the designer of sex differences. And we want to find out what does God have to say about this. So the background in chapter 11 here is that apparently some Christian women in the church back in Corinth were uh, misusing their Christian freedom to not conduct themselves properly in the worship gatherings uh, by uh, regarding God's gender distinctions and roles. And so Paul is going to reassert here the principle of headship. And this isn't really about men and women as much as it is about husbands and wives. That the husbands are called to be the heads of their home. That's God's original intention. Going back to the beginning, that's not just a cultural thing that changes with the times, but that is an abiding, transcultural, universal principle. So up front, Here's our big idea. I will fulfill my responsibility to others by honoring God's order of headship. Because see, when it comes to gender, we have some options. You could be a chauvinist, and of course chauvinism is a condescending view that men could have toward women, which um, devalues them. It could lead to discrimination, suppression, even mistreatment of women. Another option would be to go the way of feminism which can be as simple as uh, uh, believing that women should have the same opportunities and pay scales as men. That's kind of the classic feminism that goes back to the late 1800s. But more recently, modern feminism has come to portray in many ways that men are, are bad or at least unnecessary. Then you have a radical kind of modern feminism, which doesn't really have to do with women's rights per se, but more about demanding unlimited abortion rights and erasing all gender distinctions in society and bathrooms and locker rooms and dorm rooms and barracks and scouts and clubs and sports, which ironically actually ends up undermining women and hurting women in many ways. And here we are at a point where now if you talk about this stuff, if you, if you maintain that there are gender distinctions and gender roles, you could get labeled as a sexist, a misogynist, homophobic, transphobic. Now, some of today's feminists will try to spiritualize their views by practicing a kind of um, uh, goddess, mother religion. But those who still adhere to a form of Christianity, maybe a kind of a liberal uh, Christian feminism, will... Uh, will only accept parts of the Bible. They reject much of the Bible because of its perceived patriarchal chauvinism. And they reject this God who reveals himself in masculine terms, right? As, as a king, as father, as son. Now, as Christians who hold to scriptural authority, we don't, we don't choose those extreme options. We believe what scripture says. But we still do have struggles with what the Bible says today versus how do we apply that in the culture we're in? And how do we deal with these kinds of issues that are so difficult? I mean, we, we understand beginning uh, with, with Genesis, you know, that God is not a physical being with a gender, and yet, you know, he's spirit, but he reveals himself as he, right? Not as she, he reveals himself when he comes to this earth in flesh as a man, not as a woman. 
So those who hold to the scripture still have disagreements and fall into a couple of different camps. There is the one more traditional historic view that God created male and female differently. There are distinctions, there are roles, and we call that view complementarian, which means that God created us to complement one another, right? That we, uh, we're not equally the same, that we're different and we complete or fill in the gaps of the other, and God made it that way. And you see this in the Apostle Paul's writing in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now what, what has happened with that kind of passage is it gets distorted, it gets uh, used for chauvinistic purposes, for, uh, to promote male dominance, and so in recent times, You've seen Christians uh, uh, incorporate a lot of feminist thinking into scripture, and we would call that egalitarianism, which means that men and women really aren't different, that uh, we are all equal, and the understanding of that verse, uh, of that uh, doctrine or theology comes from uh, another verse written by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 when he said, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And that view, that has become the key verse to explain everything else, and that's been accepted now largely as uh, against 2,000 years of biblical understanding and even like natural understanding of the differences between men and women because they say we have discovered uh, through reinterpreting scripture, through a modern lens, that this is what God really intended. So here's what they do is they take that passage in Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about wives submit to your husbands, and they go back and say, no, this is the key verse in Ephesians 5. It's verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, so there, not, all, not only should wives submit to their husbands, but husbands should submit to their wives. It's, it's this mutual submission which has become the acceptable view, which has led in a large part to interchangeable kind of genderless families and genderless churches. And many, many churches have in recent times adopted that position. So we gotta look at those verses and we say, okay, is, is Paul confused on this? Was he just a captive of his chauvinistic culture? Is the husband's headship kind of an outdated thing? Is Paul revealing something new that we just haven't seen? all these years or has scripture been hijacked and taken out of context by modern feminism and uh, we're just kind of reading back into scripture the things that we want to see uh, our own uh, preferences so what we're going to do is go back to our text in first corinthians 11 i want to draw a couple of foundational principles there first is to honor headship in marriage at this church we do hold to a historic traditional complementarian view of the genders because going all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 God makes Adam and Eve male and female makes them different and he says that's a good thing I did that on purpose and both are equally made in the image of God and yet God made Adam to be the head of his wife Eve and we know that because God creates Adam first and he is the focus of the story. But then as it goes along, Adam realizes he needs somebody else, somebody who is like him, 
but is different from him. Someone to compliment him. And so that's why God then creates Eve, the woman, to be his wife. And uh, she becomes his companion. She becomes his helper. And God puts her there to be a compliment to Adam. And so Adam is the one who names her because he was, she was made from him and for him. So we see that God's uh, created order is we have two genders and husbands are called to be the heads and that's not just some social construct you know that we're all socialized to be masculine and feminine God made us that way and those who would come along and say well wait a minute though that's all wiped out because Paul said in Christ we're neither male nor female that's really to take that whole thing out of context that's not what Paul is talking about in Galatians 3. That's about our equality before God. That yes, we have, we're equally made in his image. We, we equally have worth and value. We are saved in the same way. That passage wasn't about our gender roles. That's what Ephesians is about. And so Paul is not, is not confused. He, he's not being a chauvinist here. He's being very consistent. Because the same Paul who wrote, there's neither male nor female, also wrote, here in 1 Corinthians 11:3, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. But when you read that verse today, does that rub you the wrong way? You know why? Because of Genesis 3. That's where sin enters the picture and corrupts and messes up the whole thing. That's when Eve disobeys God by eating that forbidden fruit and invites sin into the relationship, into the garden, to mess up everything. And from that point on, men's headship became domineering, became oppressive, and women would respond to that with rebellion and aggressively trying to take leadership from him. And thus began the gender wars. It became a power struggle. And that's what happens when Adam follows Eve's lead in eating the forbidden fruit. Because she was deceived by the Spirit, and then she led her husband in making the same terrible decision. When Adam should have stepped up and said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that, that's wrong. But he went along with her, and who does God call to account for that? Not the one who sinned first, he doesn't call out Eve, he calls out Adam. Because Adam is the head, and the head in anything takes responsibility, right? That's why in the New Testament, and he, in Romans 5, Adam is called the head of our fallen humanity. Not Eve, but Adam. And when Christ comes, he becomes the head of this new redeemed humanity called the church. And I want you to notice that Paul roots our gender roles, this relationship in the Trinity, in this one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are equally God, equally divine and have the same worth and value but they have different distinct roles to play so if you're wanting to find the example of a good marriage of a loving harmonious relationship where do you look look to the trinity it's right there jesus the son has a role to fulfill as the savior so he comes to this earth becomes human and voluntarily submits himself to the Father. He defers to the Father's authority because his role is to 
become one of us and die in our place. It didn't make him any less than God. He was still equally God as, as a man, but he didn't cling to those rights. He, he gave them up, yielded himself so that he could fulfill his role. And thank God he did that for us. So he yields him for himself to us, to, 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 to the Father for us, and, and yet he says, I and the Father are one. We're still equally God, but I came here to do my Father's will. In fact, he prays in the garden, it's not my will, but yours be done. Now, was Jesus inferior to the Father in any way? Absolutely not. There is no inferiority in voluntary submission. Jesus proves that. So when God creates Eve to be Adam's helper, what, was there anything inferior about that? You say, well, I don't want to be anybody's helper. Wait a minute. Do you realize that one of the names of the Holy Spirit in the Greek language is the paraclete? Paraclete means the helper. Is the Holy Spirit inferior in any way to the Father or the Son? Absolutely not. It's not denigrating, ladies, in any way to say that you are a helper. Because you're playing the role of the Holy Spirit there. Your husband needs you, desperately needs you to be that for him. Christ is the head of the husband. The husband is the head of the wife. He's tasked with that responsibility to lead her well with very much needed help from her. And, she, and she's got to allow her husband to take that lead, right? I, you remember that old movie, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Anybody see that? Where the, the mother of the bride counsels her daughter on her wedding day. The husband is the head, but the wife is the what? The neck that turns the head, right? Okay, you know, it, uh, you are the helper. All right, so submission is something that can't be forced. You've got to yield that. But who wouldn't want to yield to somebody who is leading them like Christ? Of course, I follow somebody leading me like Christ. Problem is, is when husbands don't act very much like Christ. So look, I'd encourage you not to buy into all the, the cultural notion that all of these roles, husbands and wives and moms and dads, those are all interchangeable. They're all the same thing. No, God made men masculine. He made women feminine, and that's good. Yes, sin gets in there and corrupts everything, and it turns, the, turns the, into these toxic versions of masculinity and femininity, toxic femininity. It blurs all the lines, creates all these stereotypes, but God designed us to be companions who complement one another, not compete with one another. And look, I, I got to go further and say, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of chivalry too. Not chauvinism, but chivalry. There's nothing wrong with men treating women like ladies. Right? And, and nothing wrong with ladies allowing them to behave like gentlemen who treat them with courteousness and attentiveness. Nothing wrong with men holding open a door for a lady or offering to carry something heavy for her. It's not denigrating, it's not demeaning, nothing wrong with a man giving up his seat in a crowded room or a bus for a lady. And, and you know, when the boat's going down, he gives her his life preserver, right? That's what a gentleman does. And that's a good thing. And, and ladies, I think, Ladies truly know how to receive an act of chivalry like that. That uh, th they're being valued. And yes, it may mean yielding yourself. It may mean putting aside, frankly, some pride 
to be able to receive an act of kindness like that. Because as Christians, we don't cling to our rights. We yield ourselves for the good of the other. But this idea of mutual submission, that husbands are to submit to their wives, and this, no, that's not what it's saying. Because you know what? The church submits to Christ. Christ doesn't submit to the church. There's a different role. He, yes, he put our needs above himself when he went to that cross. And we, we're supposed to do that for everybody. We put other people's needs ahead of our own. But that, that's not the same thing. You know, because in that same passage, it also says children are supposed to submit to their parents. Parents don't submit to their children. Well, <laughs> these days they, they often do, right? But not supposed to because it's not a mutual thing. Yes, we put our children's needs ahead of our own. But we, we, there's not a submission there. So here's what people try to do today. They try to reinterpret that word head to mean something less than leadership or authority or responsibility because they don't like that concept so no it doesn't really mean that but that's exactly what it means that's the plain common sense meaning of that word and you know Christ is not only the head of man he's the head of the church and whenever you want to find out who's in charge of something you say well who's 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 the head of this thing right Who's responsible for this thing? So when a wife says, well, I don't want to defer authority to anybody else. Well, are you better than Christ? Because Christ deferred. And when a husband says, well, I'm the boss. <laughs> First of all, he's stupid. And second of all, <laughs> second of all, you don't understand leadership. Because headship is not superiority. Headship is learning to lead under the leadership of Christ to build somebody else up. It's for their good. And so it's not about your rights, what you can do for me. It's about yielding for the good of the other, for the good of your wife, taking care of her, providing for her, protecting her, leading her closer to, to Christ. Because that's the key responsibility of a dad, of a husband's leadership in the family is to lead his family to do what God says. That's most important. And so when a husband leads wrongly, when he starts to lead his family away from Christ or to, to, gets them to disobey what God says, that's when the wife has to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I'm going over your head. I'm appealing to a higher authority. I'm going to do what God says. But a good head, a wise leader will make far better decisions in conjunction with his partner, with his helper. Because we are not independent, we are interdependent. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, nevertheless in the Lord, woman isn't independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman, who Eve, came from a man, so also man, every man, is born of woman but everything comes from God. And, and not only let me reassure you that this is good, this is right, but it works. It works, that's why God made it this way. Because you look around at what's going on in society and is all this gender neutral swapping stuff really working out well? Is it making for happier homes, happier men and women? I don't think so. But I think when a, when a couple learns to function the way God created us to, it actually works. I think God knew what he was doing when he made us to complement one another. So let's get to the second principle. Not only does this happen in the home, but honor headship in the church. In the church, Paul applies this principle to our church gatherings. You know, when we would all get together and there'd be praying, there'd be prophesying, you know, there'd be teaching and all these things. And he talks about having your heads covered and uncovered in the hair lengths. And he said, what in the world? 
does that have to do with anything? Well, in those days, a head covering for a wife was a symbol of her husband's headship. And so for her to throw that off was to reject that principle and to misuse her Christian freedom. Okay, so are we saying everybody needs to show up here, all the ladies need to have scarves and, uh, and bonnets and veils? Well, only if you want to make a dramatic fashion statement, I guess. But no, it, it means absolutely nothing in our culture today. Actually, it did. Up until just a few decades ago, women were still wearing those to church. And it's still going on in many cultures around the world today, but it doesn't here and now. So while we still have this abiding principle, the, the cultural application changes from place to place and time to time. So how do we honor that principle here and now? Well, for now it may be more like a, a wife taking her husband's last name, okay? Or it may be using the title Mrs. Uh, it, might, it might be wearing a wedding ring, even though that's changed. You know, up until like World War II, only women wore wedding rings. Right? But now men do too, so it really doesn't carry the same meaning anymore. But back in New Testament time, whoa, if a woman was have, had a, threw off her head covering, well, she was interpreted to be sexually loose. All right, so thank goodness that does, that's not what's going on today, right? Uh, if you see a woman wearing a hat today, it's probably because she just didn't wear, wash her hair that day, right? And, and for, a, for a dude to throw on a baseball cap today, just means, you know, probably trying to cover a bald spot or something. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It has no religious, spiritual significance whatsoever. It's just a practical thing. And, and, and that, that same covering concept had to do with our hair length. You know, women should have long hair. Men should have short hair. And, and that was a way, again, to distinguish the sexes and honor this principle of headships. And hairstyles, that's just another way that men and women are different, right? I mean, for example, here's a conversation between two women about a hairstyle. Oh, you, oh, that haircut is so cute. Oh, you think so? Well, I don't know, when she gave me the mirror, I looked at it and I didn't think it, it looked just right. You know, my face is so wide. Oh, you're, you gotta be out of your mind. That looks beautiful. Your face is so pretty. And you know what? You could probably get one of those layer cuts. I've been trying to get one of those myself, but I was thinking, no, it would draw too much attention to my neck. You know, it would accept my long neck. Are you kidding? Women would love to have your neck. I think it's gorgeous the way, anything to take attention away from these football players' shoulders of mine. Oh no, are you serious? You, you, everything drapes on you so well. It's so pretty. It's two women, two men having a same discussion about a hairstyle. Dude, you got buzzed. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's all we care about hairstyles, right? So we're different, and that's a good thing. So how do we apply this today? Are we saying that all the rocker dudes got to get their hair cut? Are we saying that all the women got to grow it down their back? No, it doesn't have the same cultural application, but the principle is still abiding. What, how, do we, how do we honor it today? Here's what it is, very simply. Men should look like men, women should look like women. And I know that's highly controversial to say today, but it shouldn't be. And, and somehow after all these years, it's wrong to point that out. But you know what? Here in the church, we've got all these beautiful pictures of Jesus with long hair. No, 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 no. That is not the way Jesus looked. That is not an accurate cultural depiction of a Jewish man in the first century. Do you know where that came from? All those European Renaissance painters who made Jesus look white with blue eyes and flowing locks. That's not biblical at all. I don't know what Jesus looked like. Did he have a buzz cut? Probably not. Did he grow at shoulder length? I don't know. All I know is that it looked 
masculine. All right? And we're not saying a man's got to look all macho and a woman's got to look all frilly and, and wear revealing clothing to, so you know that she's a woman. We're not saying that at all. We're saying women shouldn't be mistaken for men and men shouldn't be mistaken for women. Even though we kind of got into this fad a few weeks ago, did you download that face app thing that you know, on your phone and it you, you alters your digital photos to make you look like the opposite sex, right? It's kind of a fun thing. It was pretty hilarious and, and pretty surprising too. Like I went ahead and did it and I looked like a woman and yeah, it, it was pretty hideous. It was bad. It was not right. Off. But other guys I looked at, and I went, that, that dude's pretty. I mean, that is a good look, right? I mean, it was amazing how good some men look. But here's, here's where the problem is, is when, when somebody says, you know what, I think I'm going to try that. that uh, yeah, I, I do look good like that. No, see, is the intent to look like the opposite sex or to look androgynous. I mean, the, the DNA God gave you doesn't lie. You're either male or female down to every single chromosome in your body. Gender is not fluid. There are only two genders, not three, not five, not 67. You cannot both get pregnant and impregnate somebody. It's one or the other, and it doesn't matter what you identify as because facts don't care about your feelings. God made you the way you are, and your DNA is set, and you can't change it no matter what you wear or what you inject or what you cut off or what you attach on, you are male or female. Now we live in a fallen world where sin has entered. And look, people, people are gonna get confused. People are gonna get deceived. Uh, some people hate their own gender. And you know, the world's gonna do what the world's gonna do. And, and when we run into somebody who's struggling with that, who is, is practicing that. Um, what we're seeing is somebody who is struggling with identity, yes, of who God made them to be. And what this, I think the whole gender identity thing strikes at the very core of who God made us to be because in essence, it's rebellious against your maker, right? It's saying, I, I don't like the way you made me. I wanna be what I wanna be. And so God made you the way you are, male or female, honor that. And if you're involved in transsexualism or cross-dressing, look, we love you, we care about you, we're glad you're here. We wanna treat everybody with grace, with compassion. We wanna, we wanna get you uh, closer to God because everybody needs Jesus. I don't care who you are, what you've done, everybody needs Jesus and we wanna get you whatever help we can whether it's biblical counseling to, to deal with whatever I don't know, spiritual or mental dysfunction there may be. But look, if, if that's you, don't, don't dig your heels in and try to justify it and defend that alternate lifestyle. What, what I would encourage you to do instead is to get to the root issues and, and see if that doesn't help you clarify your identity. And as Christians, you know what? We don't patronize somebody's self-delusion and call a man a woman or call a she, a he, a z, a zer, or any other gender-neutral pronoun. We're not going to participate in that, and we're not going to go entertain ourselves with transvestite shows or playing drag queen bingo because that only affirms that it's okay and keeps them trapped in their delusion and rebellion against God. And that's not loving. That's not compassionate. Paul then says in verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, <laughs> some of you are texting me right now about this. If you want to be content, you want to be con no, look. 
He says we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. You want to argue about this? There are no other options. Because it's not about what you think ought to be. This is God's creation. And this is God's church. And so, yes, I will fulfill my responsibility to others by honoring God's order of headship. You say, what about all those other churches and theologians and authors who say all this gender-neutral swapping stuff is okay? They're going to have to answer to God. And so are we, which is why we're honoring what God says and not caving into the pressure of this world. We yield to God's authority for His glory and for the good of others. So let's pray about that. Because, Father, this is difficult stuff. This is hard. And we're just so thankful that you made us and you love us and that all authority belongs to you and you've given that authority to Jesus. And Jesus, you loved us so well. You gave your life for us and you're the head of the church. You're the head of this church. And Lord, I pray that that the wives would view authority in the way that you do, that it's a good thing and that husbands would exercise that leadership in the way you do that it's a good thing. I pray against all the gender confusion and conflict and war and in marriages or in your church, Lord. And I pray for peace and love and oneness in Jesus' name, amen.